So, this, uh, this month uh, we've been in the second part of uh, the book of Isaiah. For those of you who have just joined us for the first time in a little while, um, second part of the book of Isaiah is chapters 40 to 66. And sometimes it's referred to as second Isaiah, um, kind of like, you know, first Chronicles, second Chronicles, but um, it's, it's speaking, this part of the book is speaking into a time well after the first section was speaking, what that was speaking into. So after the exile has happened, the Israelites exile into Babylon, um, whereas the first section is before this. Um, some people would say, uh, this is just a little bit of context, some people would say that this part has been written by Isaiah, who's kind of been transported into the future and has been given a vision of the future. Others say that Isaiah's disciples wrote it um, well after this period of time. Um, that's not really important at this point, but what's important is that the message to God's people in this uh, this time, that the, what's being spoken into this new people at a new time is the new thing God's doing and how they're to respond. And I think that we can ask the same question. What's the new thing God's doing? How can we respond? That's what Andy spoke about last week. He challenged us to perceive what God's doing now. What is God up to now? And uh, not letting the good things of the past hold us back, not letting those blind us. That was chapter 43. Today, what I want to look at uh, is the next chapter, chapter 44, because this focuses on um, a message for God's people, uh, which even though it was a message for back then, I think it's still very relevant for us today. It requires a little bit of cultural contextualization, like actually going, well, this is the message in, but what about in the 21st century? Uh, but Rhiannon's going to read it for us. This is kind of a long passage, but 20 verses from Isaiah 44. Um, but what I want to uh, encourage you to do is just listen in, really pay attention to the words. Go, okay, what might be the message for me in this, in this day as Rhiannon reads it? It's a great privilege that we get to open the Scriptures. Um, not everywhere in the world we just have this access to the Scriptures. So let's, uh, as we read the Scriptures, let's uh, come at uh, these with a humble heart and asking God to speak. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are good and that you want to speak something to us this morning through this scripture, through these verses, uh, which encourage us, but also challenge us, uh, draw us closer to you and help those things that get in the way of our life in you to be set aside this morning. And so we open ourselves up to hear you this morning, God. We pray you'd speak to us, open our ears, open our, um, our hearts, that we may hear your word to us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Rhiannon is... Yep. Thanks, Rhiannon. And Cam, have you got your mic there? Otherwise, let's just go this one. We'll go blue mic, please, Peter. Okay, red mic, please, Peter. <laughs> Thanks. Morning, everyone. Okay. But now, listen to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. The Lord who made you and helps you says, Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, O dear Israel, my chosen one. For I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields. And I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. They will thrive like watered grass, like willows on a riverbank. Some will proudly claim, I belong to the Lord. Others will say, I am a descendant of Jacob. Some will write the Lord's name on their hands and will take the name of Israel as their own. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, 
the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and the last. There is no other God. Who is like me? Let him step forward and prove to you his power. Let him do as I have done since ancient times when I established a people and explained its future. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purposes for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No, there is no other rock, not one. How foolish are those who manufacture idols. Those prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they are all put to shame. But who but a fool could make his own God, an idol that cannot help him one bit? All who worship idols will be disgraced, along with all these craftsmen, mere humans, who claim they can make a God. They may all stand together, but they will stand in terror and shame. The blacksmith stands at his forge to make a sharp tool, pounding and shaping it with all his might. His work makes him hungry and weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. When the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it, he works with chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. He says, ah, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes his god a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshipping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my God. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. Why, it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for meat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a God? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, it's... In almost every sermon in this series, this, this focus on Isaiah so far, I've effectively been speaking about the same thing. Um, and I'm going to speak about it again today, about idols. Uh, we, in, in the first week, back in about four or five weeks ago, I challenged us to, to take those things which steal um, our worship, um, that, that steal life from us, and to write it on a piece of paper and burn it as a symbolic, here you go, I'm handing it completely over to you, God. In the second week, um, I kind of offered a reminder that these things don't just disappear overnight, that we need a patient hope, um, asking God to slowly and, and ongoingly renew us, our, our work, do a renewing work in our heart as we keep handing those things over to him. Um, and I talked about King Hezekiah, 
King Hezekiah reminded us that um, there are things we let into our lives that we might have thought were friends, um, but actually steal our unhind- they, they steal that unhindered access to, to our lives that only God should have and that's only meant for God. Um, idols, which might be things or people or ideologies or really anything, something that is created, which take the place of God the creator. That's uh, the one, and God is the one we're made to worship because he created us. Um, this, this is what idols are. They take that place. Maybe it's, uh, it's just me and what God's been trying to do in my heart in this, in this particular time. Um, but uh, as I've been reading Isaiah, um, whether it be the first section or the second, first Isaiah or second Isaiah, this is like the theme, the, the main thing that kind of just keeps coming up and it's, it's over and over again. Um, but as I've been reading it, and I read this one chapter, and it's talking about idols, and then it's talking about idols again, and it's talking about idols again. My struggle has been this. We don't carve idols out of wood. Have any of you ever gone home and got a piece of wood and chisel, 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 and then you've gone, oh. <laughs> I don't think anybody here has done Maybe, I mean, I don't want to make fun of it. Maybe in a previous uh, um, worldview, you, 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 you had um, some kind of spirituality in your life, and now you've come and, and found something completely different and life-giving in Jesus. But my guess is that 99% of us haven't carved an idol out of wood or burnt down and, 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 and uh, uh, melted down some gold and then, and then bowed down before it. Um, and this passage that we read is kind of like a taunt uh, from God. that He's, like, he's effectively mocking the, the silliness and the stupidity of those who think that one of these wooden creations could actually hold any power in it, that it could actually help us. And, and in the 21st century, m- more often than not, we, we may as well join in the mocking because if we found out that somebody we knew was carving something out of wood and then bowing down before it, we'd think, that's just that's silly. Surely you're more educated than that. Surely you know better than that. But it doesn't mean, even though we would probably mock that as well, it doesn't mean that idols are any less real or any less of a problem uh, or a, a stumbling block for the people of God today. It's still a, a real issue. Um, and the reason I, I believe that this, this plea from God, it's not just a taunt, but a real plea and a, and a please don't do this from God. The reason I believe it's still just as relevant and important for us today as it was two and a half thousand years ago when they did carve idols out of wood is because idols can't save us. And if they do still exist in our lives and we're turning to them, then it's a problem because they can't save us. When we place our lives in the hands or, or, of something else, we, when we put our trust there, we put our trust in something else, when, when we worship something or someone that isn't God, the bottom line is that has or they have no power to give us what we, most, what we need. And God knows this. And the, the whole point of this, this passage, the whole point of this theme through the book of Isaiah and really so many of the prophets in the Old Testament is that God doesn't want to see his children afraid. And he doesn't want to see his children thirsty, thirsting for something that that which they are worshipping can't give them. And he doesn't want to see his children unfulfilled and lost and, and down the wrong path. He loves his children and he wants them to come back to what they're made for. The Lord who made you and helps you 
says, Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, O dear Israel. That term in the Hebrew for Israel is this term of endearment for his, for his children, for his people. O uh, dear Israel, my chosen one, uh, for I will pour out water to quench your thirst. This, this theme of the water of life through the scriptures, this, pres- this presence of God being poured out on a people to satisfy and to irrigate your, your parched fields. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants, my blessing on your children. They'll thrive like watered grass, like willows on a river. This is God's uh, heart for his people, to, to bless them. For them to be satisfied. God doesn't want the idols in our lives gone because he's a fun sucker. Like, you need to get rid of those idols because really I just want to make your life miserable. No, it's completely the opposite. He want, he's a loving father and he doesn't want us to be deceived. That's the bottom line. That's why this, this plea to let go of those things. Um, the last verse that uh, Rhiannon read is what really gripped me this week. That says, uh, he or the, the one who worships an idol trusts something that can't help him at all. One who worships an idol trusts something that cannot help him at all. Yet, he cannot bring himself to ask this question. Is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Imagine a wooden thing that you carve. Now, I know this is cardboard, but cardboard's basically wood compacted down and then, um, you know, so it would be as silly to worship this as it would be to worship as a wooden idol, right? He cannot bring himself to ask, is this thing, this created object that I'm holding in my hand, a lie? See, we don't knowingly worship something that is powerless and, and, and like on purpose and, and, and just want to get stuck there, unable to, reassess, to assess the situation. We don't, we don't knowingly do something that's going to just be a lie. It, it's, it's that, but by default, a lie means we are deceived. We don't recognize what we're doing. We can't ask ourselves, is, is this actually a lie? Is this falsely promise, promising me something? So my question this week has been, as I've sort of talked about idols a couple of weeks and referred to it here and there, but then actually asking the question, well, how do we translate this plea of God to his people back then saying, get rid of the idols into a 21st century context? What are the things? What are the, what are the things in our life, objects or people or mindsets that can't help us at all, as the scripture says, but that we may not realize this. We may not realize that they are a lie. As a, by way of introduction to then a couple of points which I, I was thinking about with, with idols, I think the first clue, as we think about this, how do we translate this to today's context? The first clue is in the historical context of Isaiah. What was happening then? God's people, the Israelites, did not just teach themselves to carve idols out of wood. They didn't come up with it on their own. Um, it was the surrounding nations whose influence upon them is, is as close as ever. The, the, the people around them, the, the different religions and nationalities um, are all around there, close on every border and kind of infiltrating their um, culture as well. And these were the nations that carved idols, gods to worship out of wood and stone and all the rest. So there are, in our world, 
the same thing happening. Religions and worldviews and, and, and ideologies on every side of us today that are pushing something that will save, pushing something that will provide, that will bless, that will help us. That are, and, and these other views on reality are as close as ever. Would you agree? I mean, we live today in a, pure, in a pluralistic, post-enlightenment, whatever term you want to use, you know, where the, your truth's as good as my truth, and, and you do you, man. Now, if you haven't heard that, it just means what it sounds like. You do you. You do you. Your you is as good as my you. It's you do you. You do what works for you. Your truth is as good as my truth. And really, there's endless paths that lead to utopia. There's endless ways we can get to heaven. You do what works for you. That's the the common mindset of today. It's the same issue as the Israelites having nationalities all around them on every side, among them even in their culture, each with their gods, which was symbolized by a wooden idol or something like that, until what happens is the true God just kind of blends in. You know what I'm saying? That when there's all this other stuff around, there's all these different options around, the true God, the one who really gives life, the one who really provides, who really can help us, he just kind of blends into all the other options. He, the one who worships an idol, trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet, he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie. What if every time you uh, had something presented to you on the TV or try, some, something was try, trying to sell something to you via an Instagram ad or a Facebook ad or, or even a friend was trying to say, hey, why don't you try this? What if every time we had that, we, not with a critical, cynical attitude, but we just genuinely asked, can this really help me? Can this really do what it's promising? Or is it a lie? What if we ask that question? You know, I'm really grateful that I encountered God as a, as a teenager. Um, 16 years old, um, I, I was really, at that point in my life, really just starting, as many of you would have and, uh, or even are now, was starting to search for something that could fulfill me. Maybe when you're a kid, everything's fun and, you know, you, you do what you do. But when you start to grow up, what's, what's, what's the meaning of life? Maybe you don't ask it that way, but what's going to fulfill me? I'm starting to search for things. Now, I'm really grateful that I was sheltered from some of the more destructive things, drugs and alcohol, girls. Um, no, no. Uh, but but I, I wasn't looking for God, though, because I grew up in the church, and God was assumed. God was just part of life. And so I didn't necessarily ask the question, well, as I look for that which can fulfill me, is God the only one? Because God was just always there. I didn't realize he was actually the only one who could save and fulfill and help me to navigate this life. Until one day, by the grace of God, I ended up at a youth group that taught me this, that showed me that he is the only one, not one option among all of the other things being bombarded at us, but the only one. And I, and I experienced this truth for myself, and I'm forever grateful for that. Until we discover this to be true ourselves, until we discover that it's really God is the only one, and, and have that rem, reminder on a, on a regular basis, all the idols, all the things that promise us life, 
all the things that are so present around us all the time and in our face, they just make God seem like another option alongside everything else. Alongside what's in my neighbor's house and what he's doing and what she's doing, what my friend's up to. But God is so much more than that, so much more than just another option. So I was thinking about this. What, what are these idols? I mean, we've talked about it a little bit in the, the last month or so, but really, what are these idols that, that we end up holding in our hand even though they are a lie? Um, in Isaiah's time, the idol, the, the sculpture or the carving, a wood or a metal, probably not cardboard, but this will do for now, um, the, the little statue, if you like, or sculpture, what it actually did was it represented a god that people believed existed, um, and the, the idol was not thought to be the god itself. So they weren't worshipping this thinking that this has power, but that this sort of represented um, a, a god, a force, a being, and that it, it, that god was like behind the idol, so to speak. So that's that's what they believed in that time. I was thinking about this in this time period. What would lead you then to worship an idol? What would lead you? What would cause you to worship a, a piece of wood that you believe represented represented a god behind that? A wooden statue that you had made, or a, a gold um, thing that someone else had made and sold to you? What what would lead to that? Here's what I jotted down. I was just thinking about this and just whatever I could think of that might, if I was living in that time, lead me to worship an idol. Fear. Because in that time, you might feel that the force behind the idol had power over you. And so you needed to appease it. You don't want the God behind this idol to make your wife barren or to infect your crops with bugs or something like that. I mean, that's what they believed. And so it was like, no, I have to appease that. So fear is one thing that would lead you there. Convenience is another one. I mean, it's easier to worship something that's right under my own roof, right? It suits me. I don't have to go all the way to the temple. It's like I have my, my God right there in my lounge room, so I can just bow down and worship it here. Profit is another thing because, and this, this happened, it's you know, a carved or a sculpted thing, and so maybe you might worship a particular idol, but then you can also make them and sell them to other people and make a little bit of moolah, and that's... That would happen a lot in that time. So profit might be a reason. You would worship that particular idol. Habit, my family or tribe, has always worshipped the god of the ducks or whatever it might be. I don't think that was one of them, but bear with me. Um, and then finally, pressure. You know, everyone else, especially those who are starting to really fill up this little village now, they all worship this one, so I'm going to look stupid if I don't as well and mean what harm can there be this God's promising dot 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 so pressure I think that these same things fear convenience profit habit pressure I'm sure there's others as well but let's just start with these I think these same things can lead us to worship modern day idols and it might actually give us a clue as to what those kind of things might be what are those things that still life that are a lie in our hands so to speak Um, starting with fear If I don't give my time, my attention, my passion, my whole self to this thing, whatever, I might suffer. You know, is there anything that you you give your whole self to, that you, you give your trust to out of fear that you or your family will suffer or miss out if you neglect it? Is there anything that out of fear you give yourself to? Work is a really common one here. 
You know, if I don't work hard enough, what's going to happen to me, my family? What, am I gonna, what are we going to miss out on? Um, you could, could be a house. You know, if, if it's not perfect, if I don't really treat it with the respect it deserves, what is, what is, how, how are we going to feel? What are other people going to think? That kind of thing. Education. Will I make it in this world if I don't have the know-how? I mean, that's a big one of, of particular generations, and then the next generation kind of forgets, and then another one values it again. But God's reminder to us with, is this. No matter what kind of thing you are led to out of fear, God's reminder is that he's not given us a spirit, you and I, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And Jesus said this, if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown out into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care of you. There is no need for that kind of fear that we will miss out, that we will suffer if we don't give our lives to something. That's the truth, that God takes care of us. The idol that's creating fear is actually a lie. The idol is a lie. God in God lies the truth. What about convenience? It's so easy, right, to give decades of our life to something under our own roof. There's, I mean, tons of modern-day examples. What do we just go to because it's convenient? These days it's Netflix, online gaming, whatever. One, once one time it might have even just been the newspaper, I don't know. And hey, why drive to church when you can now go to church online? Now, for those of you here at Church Online, we love you. <laughs> We value you, and we know that you are at home for a valid reason. Uh, some of you, we are so blessed that you can tune in because of health reasons or whatever. But if you are at home, when you can come, if you can come, we would love you to be here because the church is the gathered community, right? And so whether you can come here if you're watching online, or maybe some of us need to go to somebody's house and go, you know what, they need a gathered community um, in person, even though they can't get here. What is it that convenience is leading you to just go to because it's easy? Where's convenience shaping what we give our lives to? Whatever it is, it's always a lie. The promise it gives of life and fulfillment is a lie. Jesus said, those who lose their life will actually find it. Right? It's not convenient to sacrifice, but to give our life is life-giving. That's the truth of Jesus. Then uh, there's profit. Now, of course, some have sought to profit off of uh, worship of the true God, um, the, like the health and wealth televangelist type stuff, for ex- uh, example. That's, that's different, not what I'm talking about. What is it that... Um, who, who or what do we worship in place of God because it's beneficial to us? What is it that we give our trust to, our time to, because it's, we benefit from it? Maybe you found yourself idolizing a person before. Um, I mean, we, we all have to some extent. We you know, have our idols, our, our people who we really, really um, respect, and um, whether that be Justin Bieber or Stephen Furtick or you know, Preacher or whatever it might be. Um, maybe you found yourself idolizing a person, something... Because they give you something valuable. It might not necessarily be money that you're profiting from, but it might just be wisdom or knowledge. Um, it might be that there's a good person you are, a godly person even, that you kind of idolize 
But in your mind, they actually start to take God's place because you get something from them that really should come from God. For me, this is really, really subtle. Um, it's as subtle as someone who, who I listen to because they have wisdom and intellect greater than my own. And if I listen to them, I get this wonderful wisdom and knowledge rather than having to get that directly from God from his word. They, whether it be a preacher or a podcaster or something, give it to me directly. So I don't actually have to have that from God. But the truth, as opposed to the lie, is that God's word is food to us. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so when I subtly fall into this thing where I believe other people's wisdom is as good as God's, that's actually... A lie, it's an, it's an idol. That The wisdom they're feeding me, even if they're godly people listening to God themselves, that's pre-chewed food. Right? right? Every Man does not live by bread alone, but the, our food is every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't learn to get fed at church. My job, if I do it well, and I don't always, but if I do it well, is to help us to feed ourselves, to be fed from the word of God. Just as a side note here, um, some of you may be thinking, look, look, um, I'm, I'm a bit confused. These are all good things. Everything I've mentioned, almost everything I've mentioned so far that I'm suggesting could be an idol. They're not bad. Is it really necessary to consider some of these things idols or, or false gods that are lies to us, even though they might be helpful? They might even be given to us by God to help us, to bless us. And that is true. But remember, an idol in Isaiah's day was what? A piece of wood or clay or gold or whatever it might be. The woodcarver uses part of the wood to make a fire, a good thing. He warms himself with it, good, especially on a morning like this morning, and bakes his bread. I like bread, right? Then it's true. He takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. We can do much good with lots of what we have and lots of what God gives us, what God blesses us with. It's what we do with the rest of it, right? This is the point. It's how we shape the rest of it that matters and that can turn it into something which steals our heart and steals life from us. The next thing uh, was habit just quickly on these last two, you know, what do you trust in because you always have? Maybe it was passed, something that was passed down to you by your parents. They just always have kind of really relied on, you know, money or whatever, and, and you just kind of assume the same. Maybe you relied on something before you were a Christian. And, and, and some things when you became a Christian kind of turned around, but other things, they just continued on that way. Finally, where does pressure, in particular pressure from others, and this is kind of what I was talking about before, um, how does pressure shape what you look to for help? There will always be something. There will always be something that all your friends and the people you love, even the people you really trust, are saying, this is where it's at. You've really got to check this out. You're missing out if you don't have this. You're really missing out if you don't do that. But Isaiah's message to us is that just because someone says it will help you doesn't mean it's true. He says, the fool cannot bring himself to ask, is that idol that I'm, holding in my, so, that I'm holding in my hand a lie? But the wise person actually asks, okay, is, is, this a, is this promising me what it said it would promise me, or is this a lie? The truth is that everything that anyone 
ever promises to us. Any promise of blessing, any promise of help or comfort of satisfaction, it's only true if it's coming from God. All of, all of this, all of life is only found in God. In two weeks I shared with you uh, the words of this song. Um, Anything I put before my God is an idol. Anything I want with all my heart is an idol. Anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol. Anything that I give all my love is an idol. And maybe as I've offered some suggestions on what this might be this morning, there's been one or, or two things that come to mind. Maybe in your mind now there's a whole shelf full of wooden carvings <laughs> that you're thinking of. What do we do with them? All these things of different shapes and sizes. It could be anything, anything created. What do we do with the idols God's showing us are in our, in our life, in our heart? Last month, I encouraged you to you know, write them down on a piece of paper and, and then go outside and burn it. So just let it go. Give it to God. Uh, I then encourage you to you know, each, each day, each week, to, to lay those things before God as Hezekiah did, to keep on giving them over to God with patience as he does the sanctifying work in us. But here's the real message of Isaiah. Here's what's really offered to those with hearts divided between God and idols. Picking up from where we left off in, in verse 20, which said, that was the bit that said, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? If we read on to verse 21 and onwards, pay attention, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I, the Lord, made you, and I will not forget you, I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. So what is the answer? Like, Do we, do we remove the, all of the things, the, the, the products and the materials, so to speak, that we, that, that we make these idols with so that the temptation's not there. Sure, we need to do that. Bible says flee from temptation. If there's anything that's tempting you to go back to that thing instead of God, get rid of it, get it out of the house. But in reality, the problem is not the wood or gold. The problem is not the chisel or the furnace to melt the metal down to create the idol, so to speak. Or in our day, the problem is not the computer or the house or the job or the money or the person or the whatever. The problem is the human heart, always. If the human heart is not dealt with, we'll always go back. We'll always drift back. And so the answer is always and only found in the one who can renew the heart. The one who can free the heart from bondage to sin. The nature that leads us to create idols to worship in the first place. The one who does this, who frees the heart by paying a price. By purchasing our freedom for us. In these chapters, Isaiah begins to point to Jesus. He begins to point to this, this one who will take our place who in Isaiah 53 bore our sins, but then is alive again, overcoming sin, who bore our sins, who will wipe away our sins, not by some magic thing going, oh, we'll just deal with them, but by bearing them himself. And God says all we must do is return to him. Return to me. I have paid the price to set you free. Return to me. Don't keep trying to fight against the things that are stealing 
your love and your devotion. Return to me. Return to me. I have paid the price. It's not by might. It's not by you just working harder and trying harder. Return to me. Return to me. I have paid the price to set you free. I want to pray this morning that we wouldn't try and deal with the things that steal life from us by just gritting our teeth, but by laying it down before God and saying, God, the only way I'm going to stop worshipping other things in my life is by turning my attention to you and worshipping you because you are the truth, you are the way, and you are the life. Jesus, we come before you this morning as broken people who have been distracted by things made with our own hands, whether they were made with our hands or passed on to us by someone else. We still wrestle with the temptation today to worship idols. They look different, Lord, to what they look like in Isaiah's time, but we still wrestle with it. And Father, we choose this morning to return to you Because you are the truth. You are the one who, what you promise to us, it's a genuine promise. You're not going to let us down. You're the only one who can offer us what you say you offer us. Everything else, Lord, will fail us. And so we return to you because you, Jesus, have paid the price. You have borne the status, the state of our human heart on your very body on that cross and taken it all away so that our heart would be free, that our heart would be made new for us to worship you and only you. And so come Holy Spirit, we pray. We pray, Lord, that the the, the words of Isaiah at the beginning of the passage today, that you would pour out your spirit on generation after generation, that you would refresh us like waters, that we would be like trees blooming. Lord, that that would be true this morning, that you would pour your spirit out on us, renew our hearts, renew our minds, that we may turn to you and keep turning towards you. Lord, that we would be healed by the stripes born on Jesus' back. Lord, that we would be set free because you were captive and slave to sin. Not slave to sin, but that you bore sin for us. That we may no longer be slaves to sin and this human heart. But that we would have a new heart to follow you.